The text for this morning's worship service is from 1 Peter 3, the verses 19 through the first part of verse 21. Let's read that once again, and I'll start with verse 18 in order to make it part of that sentence. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. And now starts the text. Through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. After the sermon, we will sing from hymn 26, the stanzas 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls, have you ever wondered what Christ was doing between the time of his death and the time of his resurrection, between Good Friday and Easter. It appears that the text of this morning gives us an answer to this. However, the answer appears to be not very clear. There are many interpretations. For that reason, this text is known as one of the most difficult texts in the Bible. This text leaves us with many questions. Who are the spirits in prison? Are they the spirits of the dead or are they the spirits of the fallen angels, as some assert? And what is meant by prison? Does that refer to those who are in hell at that time? Or does that refer to those who are in the prison of their own sinful condition because of the change in which they are kept by God? And furthermore, it says that Christ preached to the spirits in prison. What did he preach to them? How? Did he do that before the flood through Noah? For Noah is called, in 2 Peter 2, verse 5, a preacher of righteousness. And in 1 Peter 1, verse 11, it says that the prophets, to which Noah also belonged, tried to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Was the Spirit of Christ in Noah when he preached to the wicked people all around him? Or did Christ preach to the Spirit in prison between Good Friday and his resurrection from the dead? And what was the content of that preaching? Did he give an opportunity for repentance to the spirits in prison? And so, like I said, there are many questions which beg an answer. And so, especially this morning, I need you to pay a special attention. Let us listen to the preaching of God's Word as I've summarized it under the following theme. Christ preaches to the spirits in, in prison. We will look at three things. First, when he preached. Secondly, to whom he preached. And then finally, what he preached. Christ preaches to the spirits in prison when he preached, to whom he preached, what he preached. As I said, there are many interpretations concerning this text. The Roman Catholics believe that when Christ died on the cross, 
he, his spirit left his body, and before his resurrection from the dead, so the time between Good Friday and Easter, Christ went in the spirit to a special place on the edge of hell called Limbo, where the souls of the Old Testament believers were being kept until the victory of Christ to release them and take them with him in heaven. There are others who believe that Christ, right after Good Friday, went to hell and preached to the demons in hell to proclaim his victory. That was the moment of his victory, and he proclaimed to the devil and his host. And then finally, there are those who say that after his death, he went first into hell to preach to those who did not have the opportunity to hear the gospel before, and who now had a last chance to do so. This was their last chance for repentance, so they say. These interpretations all appear to be supported by the statement in the Apostles' Creed about Christ's descent into hell. Now, what then are we to think of these various interpretations? Well, in the first place, we should remember that when the Apostles' Creed tells us that Christ descended into hell, it does not refer to a literal descent into the realm of the condemned. That's also what we confess in Lord's Day 16, where the descent into hell is clearly shown to have happened when Christ was still on earth, referring especially to the end of his life when he suffered on the cross. He suffered hell on the cross. And furthermore, we are to remember that Christ cried out at the end of his life, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke 23, verse 26. His spirit was immediately in the hands of his father. As soon as Christ breathed his last, his spirit went to his father in heaven. That is also, that is why he also said to the murderer on the cross, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23, verse 43. Christ did not first go into hell after he died. He had just experienced hell on earth, especially when he was completely forsaken by God and by man. No, when he died, his spirit went to the Father while his body still hung on the cross. That's also clear from the context. For there Peter speaks about the suffering and exaltation of Christ and of the believer and the close relation between the two. For Peter is writing this letter to those who are being persecuted for the sake of the gospel. They are suffering, he says, for doing what is right. Yet the people of the world are giving these new believers, they are giving them a hard time. The world is ridiculing them. They make a mockery of their religion. And they are making the lives of those new converts downright miserable. They are being treated as nobodies. In the eyes of the world, they are nothing. And so these people are brought down very low. And now Peter writes to them to encourage them to keep their cool in the midst of such harsh treatment. 
They are to make sure that the world has nothing to say about their conduct as such. They are to quietly defend their religion, he says, with gentleness and respect, he says in verse 15. And further he says to them, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now then, Peter says further, if you so conduct yourself, then the Lord God will also exalt you. He will turn you from a state of humility to a state of exaltation. He will vindicate you in the midst of your enemies, and he will give you a place of honor in his kingdom. He will make your lowly state into a high state. He will lift you up and he will make you great. For that is also what he did to Christ. Christ has paved the way for you. He suffered like no other. He was attacked by Satan and his agents at every turn. He was ridiculed. He was made out to be a liar. He was made out to be a false prophet and a fraud. He was beaten and he was hung on a cross. No one could be brought lower than him. But then what happened? In the end, he won the victory over Satan and his domain. He died, but he rose again. But he did more than just rise from the dead. He also ascended into heaven where he was given a place of honor at the right hand of God the Father. The lowly state that he had here on earth as a servant of man, as a slave, became an exalted state after his death, resurrection, and ascension. And if you take a close look at the verse just preceding our text... And then you will note that the same sequence of events is clearly pictured there. And there we see that Peter speaks about the lowly state of his readers, whom he knows are being looked down upon by the world. And their lowly state will become an exalted state, just like happened to Christ, he says. For it says there that Christ was first put to death. That's a reference to Good Friday. And then it says that he was made alive in the spirit. That refers to the resurrection, to Easter. At that time, Christ rose bodily from the dead. His body was reunited with his soul. Now in verse 19, we have the next step of his exaltation, namely his triumphant entry into heaven. For it says there, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Where did he go? Well, after his resurrection, he went to heaven, as we saw. First in spirit only. And after his ascension with body and soul, with his spirit and his body. His body and soul were reunited at Easter 
in which at the time of his ascension he went to the Father and sat down beside him at his right hand. And there is no reference here to Christ going to hell after his death. He could not first have gone to hell in order to preach to anyone there or to spring the Old Testament believers from Hades. For once you die, there is no longer any chance for repentance. Scripture makes that quite clear. And furthermore, the Old Testament believers did not first remain in a state of limbo until the victory of Christ. No, they went immediately to heaven. For them too, death was an entrance into eternal life. God imputed the righteousness of Christ to those Old Testament believers, even though Christ had not yet accomplished his task here on earth. For the Father knew that it would be impossible for him not to accomplish his victory over Satan. But now the question remains, and that brings us to our second point, if this text refers to Christ's triumphant entry into heaven, to whom then did he preach? Who are those spirits in prison? Well, brothers and sisters, those spirits in prison can be no other than those who died in the days of Noah. That is very clear and clear enough from the text itself. Now, why does he refer to those spirits? Who are they? Well, in the scriptures, the word spirit can have several meanings. God refers to himself as a spirit. And also the angels, good or bad, are spirits. It says about the angels in Hebrews 1 verse 14, are they are not all are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? But the spirits can also refer to those who have died, those who no longer live their lives in the flesh. For when we die, our souls are separated from our bodies. At that time, we no longer exist in the body. The body returns to the dust of the ground. And then the soul can go to one of two places. It either goes to hell or it goes to heaven. Those who have not believed during their time on earth continue to exist in the spirit. But that spiritual existence is an existence without God. Such spirits remain in the realm of the dead. That is, with all the other spirits who chose to belong to the devil while they still lived their lives on earth. And those who believed, they go to a different place, to heaven. There they are around the throne of God, together with all the other believers, singing God's praises for his great mercy and his loving kindness. But let us remember that both heaven and hell are only temporary abodes. For the scriptures tell us that all things will be changed. And that includes both heaven and earth. And they will both be changed at the final day, that is on judgment day. 
And that will happen with the second coming of Christ. Then Christ will come again. And then we will all experience the resurrection from the dead. Our souls will be reunited with our bodies. And then we will be spiritual beings just like Christ himself is right now. For at the time of the resurrection, his body was reunited with his soul. And now he lives in his glorified body, seated at the right hand of God. But the same thing is true of those who did not believe, including the ones who died before and during the flood. They also continue to exist as spirits. But they do so in hell, which for them, too, is only a temporary state. For they await an even greater punishment on the day of judgment when they will be punished both in body and soul. For also their bodies will be reunited with their souls on that final day. Listen to what the Lord Jesus says in John 5, verse 28 and 29. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. The scripture speaks about the resurrection of the dead of those who die in the Lord and those who do not die in the Lord. And so these spirits of the condemned are currently still in prison. Their sentence has been announced. They haven't declared guilty. But they are still waiting for the final day of the total execution of their office, of, 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 their, of their sentence. But why then, you may ask, does the text specifically mention only the spirits before the days of Noah. Why does Peter not mention also those who went to hell after the flood, such as all the nations and all the wicked people who lived in Israel itself? Are they not included in those who are waiting in prison, in the prison of hell until the final judgment when the full sentence will be executed? Well, the answer is quite simple. The days of Noah are shown in the scriptures as being particularly evil. There were only eight people left who still wanted to serve the Lord. Noah and his three sons and their wives. God waited patiently until he finally executed his judgment. That was the first universal judgment wherein all the earth except eight people experienced the wrath of God and at which time he destroyed the whole earth with the flood. Throughout the scriptures, the wickedness before the flood is held up as an example of the wrath of God. And that wickedness resulted in the great judgment over the whole earth at the time of the flood. The people before the flood were intent on wiping out the seed of the woman. The battle between her seed and the seed of the serpent was being waged in full earnest. And it appeared that the serpent, that the seed of the serpent had almost won. Only eight 
count them, only eight people were left to serve God. Can you imagine that, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? Imagine if there were only eight of the million people here in and around Edmonton, if they were left. Then things would look quite bleak in our eyes, wouldn't it? And then, what if there were only eight people in all of Canada? Or in the whole world, only eight people. Well, at the time of the blood, there were only eight people, count them, over all the earth who still were serving the Lord. Do you see how bleak it looked at that time? But the Lord God destroyed them all. Well, says Peter to his persecuted readers, if God at that time was able to to save his people and preserve the seed of the woman, then what about you right now? Do you think that you have to be afraid? Did Christ not come? He won the victory over death. Indeed, he is sitting right now at the right hand of God the Father. He was victorious. And with him, the church. And if that is the way it was then against, and if that is the way it was at that time against all odds, how do you think you will fare? And then he comes with the example of the water. Although the water was a curse for the unrighteous, it was a blessing for Noah and his house. For they were saved through the water of the flood. The water became the grave of the wicked and so destroyed that whole generation. But the water rescued Noah and his family from the sinful condition of the world. And now Peter connects that concept up with the water of baptism. For the water of baptism also means an end to sin and the renewal of life. The water symbolizes the burial of our old nature and the coming of life to life of the new. Peter makes clear, however, that baptism as such does not save us. It is only a symbol of how Christ has rescued us from our sinful condition. With the water of baptism, we do not say that our sins are actually washed away. But it is a plea to God for a good conscience. That is to say that we may know about the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. That we have been rescued. That we have that promise of that rescue. But I'm sure that all the questions haven't been answered yet. We're still somewhat confused about this text. Why does Peter speak here about preaching to those spirits in prison? What exactly did Christ preach? What was the purpose of it all? Well, that brings us to our final point. When we think of preaching, we invariably think about words being spoken. We think about (coughs) a sermon in that regard. And we also believe that preaching is a calling to repentance. My brothers and sisters, boys and girls, preaching can also be done by deeds. 
If you lead a Christian lifestyle, then you are like a sermon about God. For through your actions, you show what it is like to be a servant of Christ. Often, actions speak louder than words. If you stand up and be counted, when the world wants you to partake of something which the Lord does not want you to participate in, then you are sending a very clear message to those around you. And that is why you too, young people, you have to preach with your actions. Say no when your friends from the world want you to do something which clearly goes against God's word. You are to be a preacher in that regard. Well, Christ also preached in heaven with his deeds. At the moment he died, his spirit immediately came to his father in heaven, as we saw. That was his deed. That was his message. Now, don't think that that message was not heard by those spirits in prison. For all of creation is God's domain, including hell. The spirits in hell know now that, or knew then, that the victory had been won. They knew that it would only be a matter of time before that final day, that day of judgment, when they would be judged in both body and soul. Oh, sure, the power of Satan can still be felt also today. And in the end, Satan will go around like a roaring lion, devouring everything that comes in its path. But those things are nothing more than death twitches. At the final day, Satan and all his demons and all those who belong to him, they will be shut up forever. And they will never know how to escape. They will stay in hell, never ever to bother any of us again. What a sermon it was when Christ came to his Father in the Spirit, when he entered heaven victoriously. The demons knew at that time what their permanent fate would be. Their leader, Satan, had lost the battle. But after he went to heaven in the Spirit, right after his death... Christ once more went to earth on the day of Easter to be reunited with his body. At that time, his body became a glorified body. And after 40 days, he rose once more in the flesh for all eyes to see. And that was the time of his ascension. But first, he had already announced his victory in heaven. He was a herald. He was a preacher of his own coming. For what does a preacher, what does such a herald do? Well, the first readers of this letter understood this better than we do today. The world that we translate as preacher, or in other translations as a herald, referred to a special person appointed by a king, a xerox in Greek. It was the custom in the Near East for the coming of the king to be announced by a herald. He stood at the entrance of the town to announce that the king is about to enter. And all things had better be in readiness, or else this would be a day of reckoning for the disobedient citizens. 
And in that sense, beloved, Christ also heralded his own coming in the flesh. He came and sat down at the right hand of the Father from where he will rule the living and the dead. That was his triumphant entry. And that triumphal entry into heaven was a most wonderful declaration of what he was about to do. He would from then on in proclaim his victory for the sake of those who are being saved for his church, for you, for me, which was still left behind on earth. What a beautiful sermon that was, brothers and sisters. It clearly is so for us for you and for me. What a vindication. What an exaltation. How wonderful, brothers and sisters, that we can celebrate that on this Easter Sunday. But not for those who are not ready for Him. If you are not ready for Him, it's the most terrifying day. And that was certainly the case for those spirit in prison. For them, there was no longer any hope Christ was victorious. But for the believer, for you and for me, it is a great comfort also today. We do not have to fear. Even if the whole world around us is falling apart and turning against us. That's the comfort that he gives to those first readers, those people who are being persecuted. Our Savior now sits at the right hand of God. He rules the nations. Indeed, all things are in his hands, even the depths of hell. And that is our comfort, beloved. At the present time, it may not always seem to us that Christ has won the great victory. If we do not have the eyes of faith, then it would appear that Satan is controlled and that we are nothing more than insignificant pawns in his hands. It may seem to us that very little of Christ's victory can be seen in us and around us. But then remember the flood, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. At that time, he saved Noah and his house. They believed in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of unbelief. And the Lord removed Noah from that all. Well, beloved Christ is coming once more. He will claim his own. We do not have to be afraid. Christ has risen. Christ has risen from the dead. He is our victorious head. Amen.